First, I want to say that whenever we thought about moving anywhere, our first thought was, well, is it within the distance of, you know, the Nina Church? We have to be close enough that we can still get there um, every Sabbath, and it's really hard to be leaving. Um, but he said we do God's will, so here we go. Um, I'm going to start with my testimony, and I'm going to tell you I am very, very nervous to be up here. So um, now that I said that, I feel a little better. Um, <laughs> so bear with me, please. Let's see. The New Living... Oops, let me start up a little higher. And I'm reading from the phone, so that's extra difficult. Psalm 61, 1 through 4, the New Living Translation. Oh God, listen to my cry, hear my prayer. From the ends of the earth, I will cry to you for help. For my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the, lead me to the towering rock of safety, for you are my safe refuge, a fortress where my enemies cannot reach me. Let me live forever in the sanctuary, safe beneath the shelter of your wings. During some of my darkest hours, this was the only light I knew. When I was young, my parents split up. I lived with my mom and saw my dad every other weekend. My mom had rules and taught me right from wrong and disciplined me when needed. That happened to be all the time because life with my father every other weekend was, was quite different. I was able to make my own rules and do whatever I wanted. My father always said that I was the boss. Being the child, or being a child who had both rules and freedom, I much preferred the freedom. So I became rebellious from, from a young age. I learned things from my father that most adolescents don't learn until they are in late middle school to high school. These, these things paved a dark road, or paved, paved a path for a dark road. I knew all about drugs, marijuana, methamphetamine, crack, and uh, I knew about sex, and, and I was stealing money off of bar tops by the age of seven. When I was 10 years old, my father overdosed. He had his own struggles with life, so growing up, I never really had a father figure. I craved love and attention, searching for it in all the wrong ways. Even at the age of seven, I looked to boys for a means of filling the void. Things grew worse as the years went on. The more rebellious I became, the more rules my mother placed over me, and the more I resented her, the more I wished to be more like my father. My mother married when I was five, a great man who loves me very much. We just happened... This is different than when I rewrote it. Uh-oh. Hang on. Let me... <laughs> this, is <laughs> this is actually the rough draft. We don't want to read that one. Let's see. Go to sent. <laughs> we actually, um, when we read these, this is what we sent to the Signs of the Times editor. So it's going to kind of be talking about you guys differently, you know, as if I'm not talking to you guys. Okay. Let's see. Do you see it? I think it's this one. But it might not be. Oh, here it is. Okay. This is it. If you, ask it, uh, if you oh. want to, just tell it to them where you told it to me that night. Just oh, it'll come. I'm a, I have a spaghetti brain. It'll come okay. out all over the place. <laughs> okay. We'll just kind of pick up um, my father. to. <laughs> Oops, that's a little... Okay. If I read faster, can I read the beginning? It flows a lot better. Well, I just... I'm starting about, like, right... See, it's better, though. Okay. Um, I'm going to read it fast. I was born into a broken home. My mom... Uh, my mother when I, had me when she was 19. She quickly turned her life around after getting pregnant. She decided that... She would do whatever she could to become the best parent she could be. My father struggled to make the same decision. They were engaged but never married. My father was, uh, was never, or my father was physically and emotionally abusive towards my mother. He was never uh, that way with me. Their relationship was on and off until about the age of five. I lived with my mom and saw my dad every other weekend. My mom had rules, blah, 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 blah. Um, I learned things from my father, that part. Um, okay, here we go. When I was 10 years old, my father... We don't want to read that again. Things grew worse as the years went on. The more rebellious I became, the more years, rules my mother placed over me, and uh, I began to resent her. That was the dark half of my childhood. 
Uh, as for the brighter half, my mother met my stepfather when I was five and got married when I was seven. He is a great man who loves me very much and has always tried to be the best father he could be. However, he was unable to fill the need that I had for my, fa my biological father's love. My mom and stepdad had my brother Adam when I was 10. My dad married uh, my stepmom, and it's kind of all over the place. My dad married my stepmom, whom I was not fond of because I felt she was taking uh, the little positive attention I had received from my dad away from me. Um, I struggled with this for years. It wasn't until about the age of 17 that I really started to appreciate the woman she is. My mom became pregnant with my little sister, Emma, when I was 12. I was very happy to have my little brother, Adam, and my little sister, Emma. Jealousy wasn't really an issue because my mother gave me all the love and attention I needed as a child. At the time when my mom was pregnant with Emma, um, a couple months before my 13th birthday, my father called me and asked me, what I thought about having a new brother or sister. I told him I hated him and hung up on him. The feeling of first losing what little I had of my dad to my stepmom was hard enough, but losing him to a sibling filled me with resentment and hatred. The next morning, my mom woke me up. She was in tears. She told me that my dad had poured gasoline on himself and lit himself on fire. I don't feel like I... I don't feel like it has ever fully hit me how I felt or how I feel about it. My mind went into shock. I became detached from the situation because I felt uh, because I felt the emotions, but most of the time I was numb. Uh, it was like being sedated. Most of the times I was out, but some of the times I came back to reality. The downward spiral began. I started cutting my wrists at the age of 13, not long after I lost my virginity and became very promiscuous. I began smoking cigarettes, marijuana, and drinking. I had been in therapy since I was 10 and on many different antidepressants. I also had two psychiatric, or psychiatric ward stays before the age of 16. Therapy and medications never worked. My life had spun out of control. I was lost. Lost in the pain and lost in the sin. I kept trying to fill this void, a void that I didn't fully understand. I kept trying to fill it with worldly things, with people, drugs, and anything that would keep my mind off of the fact that I was empty. Little had I known what, that God was in control, and despite all the pain and hurt I was going through, he had a plan, and he would see it through to the end. He was going to do whatever it would take to come into my life and to fill the void that could only completely be filled by his love. I was raised Lutheran. Uh, I always knew that there was a God, but I didn't know him. <laughs> um, I had the kind of faith that only had to do with him when I felt he would benefit me. I had a plan that I was going to die before the age of 18. 18 was the age that society views you, okay, that society views you as an adult. The age when you when you are to take all you have learned as a child and as a teenager and try to function in society as an adult. But everything I knew and all I had become was disgraceful in everyone's eyes. When I was 16, I could no longer stand the person I was. I was failing in school and constantly being told how important an education was for my future. But I felt like the best I would be able to do in life would be to sell myself but I couldn't do that. I could barely stand my lifestyle at the age of 16. I used everyone to get whatever I wanted. I allowed myself to be used by multiple people, boys specifically. I used drugs as a way to escape, and when all else failed, I would cut my wrists. When I couldn't take the person I was anymore, I decided to take my life, and I hung myself at the age of 16. It was on spring break at my dad's house. I couldn't take it anymore. I prayed at the top of his steps that God would take me away from this life. I understand, or I understood the negative possibilities taking my life would have. I didn't fully understand. I, I, I look back now and I don't think I really knew. <laughs> um, but I felt like anything had to be better than this life I was living. Suicide, I felt, was my only escape. I told God I loved him and that I was sorry. No one was supposed to come home that day, but my stepmom came home on a feeling. Um, she never pulls into the garage, but this time she did. She ran, grabbed the scissors, called 911, cut me down, and began CPR. 
I was pronounced clinically dead. I had made the decision to take my life that day, but God's plan for me was different. He answered my prayer, but not in the way that I expected or would have liked. He took me away from that life I was living and started something new. It will forever amaze me what a God I serve, that not only would he die on the cross and give me, to give me everlasting life, but to give me a second chance. I was put in a coma for a couple days so they could run various tests. Was I paralyzed? Would I have brain damage? Would I need a tracheotomy? Tests all came back with, with amazing results. I spent the rest of the week in the hospital. They ruled out the need of surgery for my vocal cords. I couldn't swallow solids for about four weeks. Other than that, I walked away without a scratch. After the first week, however, I, didn't walk myself, or I did walk myself into a psychiatric ward for the third time. Um, my stay there was for only three weeks. It was more of a place to hold me until my parents, mom and stepdad, could find a treatment center. Oops. Find a, yeah, treatment center to place me in. They had a specific treatment, cent- or treatment facility in mind, but the bed wouldn't be open for another, or for al- another almost two months, so I was placed in a treatment center a few hours away from home. Certain, mm, this certain treatment center was made up of three cottages. I spent most of the time in cottage three, an assessment cottage. They came to the conclusion I needed more help. Um, I was placed in cottage one, the girls' cottage, and then under... A little under a month later, the room my parents had been waiting for had opened up. I was transferred to Children's Residential Treatment Center, CRTC. I hated CRTC. I really, really did. Um, (laughs) With every fiber of my being, this treatment center uh, was a closer drive for my parents and very important if you want to make it to family therapy. Um, It had an excellent program in a locked facility. I was rebellious from the start, constantly in trouble, manipulating, lying, staff splitting, and every single thing I did, I got in trouble for, which, to be honest, is why I loathed the place. They held me accountable. I spent 14 months fighting everything CRTC had to offer. To be honest, I am thankful that it was part of God's plan for me to be placed there. A lot of the coping skills I learned, I use in my relationships today. During my stay at CRTC, my mom, stepdad, siblings, Adam, and Emma moved to Hudson, Wisconsin. After my, 14, er, after my 14-month sentence, I joined them. This, uh, it was a fresh start, a new beginning. I could make my life different, but again, uh, but again, God had a different plan. He would be the one to make my life different. He let me struggle, stumble, and fall back into my old negative behaviors, all except the cutting. Uh, soon after I started school, I was labeled a whore. My friendships went as quickly as they came. I was ridiculed while walking to class. There were hallways I had to completely avoid, and some teachers would let me leave before the bell rang so I could avoid being harassed altogether. Avoid being harassed altogether. It got to the point that I had to eat lunch in the classroom with my teacher. Now I look back and I realize the, the truth and the expression, God makes beauty from ashes. But in the moment, there was no light at the end of the tunnel. I had been seeing the school counselor any chance I could. She realized with, mm, that with the school credits I received in treatment, I would have enough credits to graduate early. I immediately took her up on the offer, and in mid-January 2010, I graduated. Not even three weeks later, I decided I no longer needed to live with my mother. I had just turned 18 and didn't want to live with her rules and that I would rather be closer to the boyfriend I had at the time. He just happened to live near my dad. So the next move was to my dad's house. I got back into drugs, drinking, and the promiscuity continued. I went back on that old dark path leading me to suicide. Only a few months after living with my dad, uh, he got heavily intoxicated one day and physically assaulted me. I was strangled and thrown around the room. The officer that arrived at the house was the same one who responded the day I attempted suicide. He asked me if I was the same girl from a couple years ago, and he was shocked He was shocked and told me he thought I didn't make it. So it was back to my mom's house, but not for long. I ended up cheating on that boyfriend. We had the plan to go to prom on May 8, 2010, but God made sure that I told him the truth. I don't think I've ever felt so guilty in my entire life. Needless to say, we didn't go to prom. May 8, 2010 is the night God brought me to my husband. A friend of mine brought me to a drinking party. I went to the party with the determination of finding a guy to hook up with. Nothing seemed to work out. 
one point, I was with a group of people talking in a circle when a guy struck up conversation with me. Conversation continued the rest of the night. He wasn't like any other guy I had met. He was intelligent. <laughs> and, and he seemed to be interested in more than just my body. He managed to get my phone number, even call me the next day. This is how I met Shane Kramlick. We spent the first part of the next week together on and off. At one point, I couldn't find a ride back home. I spent the rest of the week in his dorm. By the end of the week, he knew everything about me. He was the only guy I ever cared to be completely honest with from the beginning. That is totally of God. It was uh, the end of, end of the school year for Shane, and he was going to be going back to his home in Oshkosh, Wisconsin. Neither of us wanted to be separated. So after a week of knowing Shane, I moved out to Oshkosh, Wisconsin. His thought was that there were issues in the household, but at least no one was getting physically abused. I had, we had many struggles when I first moved to Oshkosh. There were a lot of things going on in the household that I was uncomfortable with, so I tried implementing my skills from treatment. Um, things only got worse. During these hard times, I began to mature. Maybe the rules my mom had weren't so bad back home. Uh, Shane finally decided that he didn't want me to be subjected to the verbal and emotional, emotional abuse any longer, so we moved in with other members of his family. After moving a few times, we decided to get our own apartment. Around this time, we had been looking for a church. Shane had come to the conclusion that there was a God months prior. He'll talk about that. Uh, and I was thinking about having God be more than just someone to go to with problems. We tried a non-denominational church, uh, even went there three times, but we felt nothing. We had moved into this apartment without any furniture. Uh, for a bed, we used a blanket from a thrift store. We slowly started to accumulate furniture. We went to a lot of thrift stores. One day, Shane stumbled across a box that said free. We like free. <laughs> The little magazines read the signs of the times. He picked up a few of them, and soon after reading a specific article, came to me and told me that the world had it wrong. Yes, they do. The Sabbath was on Saturday, not Sunday, and that we needed to find a church that worships on the right day. After listening to him explain why he had come to this conclusion, I agreed with him. I knew Shane. He, he wouldn't do something without logic and facts to back up his decision. So although I was raised Lutheran and had gone to... Uh, a church on Sunday, logic beat tradition. Soon, not long after he found the article, we began having back problems. Shane told me multiple times I needed to go to a chiropractor, but I kept refusing. One day, uh, in the beginning of February, I had him drive around, uh, all around Oshkosh to find Little Caesar's Pizza. I really, really wanted it. While... While I was ordering, Shane found a brochure for Strong Chiropractic. Gloria, put your hand up. Okay, there we go. <laughs> for Strong Chiropractic. He told me I needed to call them right away. I gave them a call. I finally gave in. I, was, I'm, I don't like to give in like that. Um, I finally gave in, and I lost my spot. I need to quit talking. I just need to read. Um, so dun 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 dun. Ordering food. Oh, Shane found the brochure for Strong Chiropractic. He told me to call them right away. I gave them a call. Uh, and they even got me an appointment that night. I soon realized that they had the Signs of the Times magazines in the office. I mentioned to the lady at the desk, who would be Gloria, that we picked up the same magazines. She said there was a man who dropped them off. Paul Presley, that would be you. Um, that there was a man who dropped them off, and he had a weekly Bible study. She informed us... Uh, on where it was and how to get there. However, we seemed to find every excuse not to go. Week after week, we didn't attend the Bible study, and for many months, Gloria asked us if we ended up going, and the answer remained the same. No, we had not, followed by excuses. The... Hmm. Okay, after many weeks of trying to ignore the Holy Spirit, we finally gave in and went to the Bible study. There was truth in what they were teaching. Everything was was by the Bible, and we were convicted that we finally found the truth. So soon after going to the Bible study, we started to attend the Fox Valley Seventh-day Adventist Church in Nino, Wisconsin. Our first Sabbath was amazing, like nothing we had ever experienced. Every, this is about you guys now. Everyone was so happy and loving. Walking into the Nina Church was like walking into a big hug, warm and inviting, filled with love and acceptance. 
October 1st, 2011, Shane and I were married in the church, and on the Sabbath a week later, we were baptized. Since then, my character, my character has been changing consistently, and praise God. To be honest, I don't really know it, and this was before we found out we were going to move. This was probably a week ago that I sent this. Um, to be honest, I don't really know what the future holds. I feel like our plans and ideas are constantly changing. However, I do know that God is in control and that his plans have always been better than mine. We have been a lot more involved in the church, and you guys know all that stuff. Um, we have learned so much about the fathers, and I'm, you know, I'm going to just skip that, and then, because you know it, um, and I, because I want Shane to get to his, um, a little quote that I put was, uh, in reviewing our past history, having traveled every, over every step of advance, mm, advance to our present standing, I can say, praise God. As I see what the Lord has wrought, I am filled with astonishment and with confidence in Christ as leader. We have nothing to fear for the future except as we shall, as we shall forget the way the Lord has led us and teaching in our past history. Life sketches, Ellen G. White, and some numbers. So. He said you have to. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Just read faster than I did and don't talk like I did. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Well, uh, as with my testimony, it's dark and sad for the first part of it, but I promise you there's a good ending because I'm standing here. <laughs> uh, I was born in 1989 in Albany, New York, into a broken home. My father was struggling with drugs so much that the new expansion of my grandfather's business that was entrusted to his care went under and had to sell for far less than the investment. Shortly after this loss, my father and mother returned to Wisconsin. Much of the details of this time are hazy, but at some point, the marriage between my parents ended in a divorce. My mother was left to raise three young children on her own, an enormous task for a single parent, but she was also struggling with her own addiction to alcohol. My mother's family and, f- and my father's family aided in what ways they could, but they had their own responsibilities to take care of. There was enough of a distance that allowed my mother's alcoholism to worsen, causing a largely neglected upbringing emotionally, nutritionally, and for manners for my brothers and me. The few memories of this time focused around utter anarchy. My brothers and I did whatever we wanted without supervision, sometimes skipping school and dangerous activities like climbing onto our roof or hanging from power lines within reaching distance from trees in our backyard. Also memories of being hungry, lacking proper hygiene, collecting piled beer cans from under our basement uh, in garbage bags for recycling money, likely to buy more alcohol. The neglect was so that in second grade, I had to ask other children to tie my shoes, for I had never had anyone to teach me consistently. I was mocked by my classmates, and I broke down crying. This and other signs caught the attention of counselors at school, and soon my brothers and I were taken into protective custody by my aunt and uncle on my mother's side. We were misled into believing we were only visiting at first, but as time rolled by, we kept begging and asking when we were going home. To our horror, my aunt, with tears across her cheeks and voice choking, told us we weren't going home. My brothers and I were devastated. Everything we knew, our world had been completely shaken, but soon it was to be turned upside down. After much painful struggle, my aunt and uncle slowly tamed us, instilling manners and rules into our lives. While we heard news of our mother's progress in rehab, we clung to the hope of our mother getting well and taking us back being the parent we longed her to be. These hopes were stretched until broken. Towards the end of my third grade year, my father and my soon-to-be stepmother at his side sought custody. My brothers and I were torn emotionally back and forth as the legal battle progressed. My mother, at some point during all the stress and tension, relapsed and started drinking behind closed doors. My father won custody, and we were soon grabbed from our new home and dropped into a newer place. I found myself having three new step-siblings and in, my, and in a household much more lenient than before. Life with my father and stepmother was okay at first, but in middle school, 
things at home began to become unsettled. My stepmother and father will go out to bars and come home intoxicated at night, screaming at each other. And at the same time, my grandmother, who, was, who I was very attached to, was diagnosed with cancer. By the time high school started, my grandmother had withered away before my eyes and died. Things at home took a further nosedive. The screaming matches often turned violent, and there was a clear division and unfair treatment between my step-siblings and my biological brothers. My stepmother took on the role of the evil fairy tale stereotype, severely mistreating my father's children verbally and emotionally, while placing her own on a pedestal. My father would mostly agree with the unjust treatment to avoid the rage from backfiring on him. During this time, I was at a loss for understanding. My mother's sides of the family were loosely practicing Lutherans, so I was vaguely familiar with the concept of God. After my grandmother passed, I beckoned into the night that I hated God and soon became convinced that there was no God. I went to a private Catholic high school under the death wishes of my grandmother. By this time, it was undoubtedly apparent that I was abnormally silent, extremely shy, and very avoidant of all conversation. From when I was young, I was always deemed quiet and shy, but that hid the underlying problem, that I was emotionally traumatized, compounded, compounded over time with each new emotional and psychological event not being expressed and handled appropriately. By high school, my freshman year, I was severely emotionally traumatized to the extent that I was so socially anxious I would walk down different hallways to avoid teachers who would say friendly hellos trying to fish conversations from me. I had no friends. I never did anything outside of school but watch TV and play video games. No emotions would express across my face, only the constant deadened grimace of a half frown. Although I was silent on the outside, both verbally and physically, on the inside, I was constantly thinking and struggling with the world around me, trying in every way to understand it, where life came from, where existence started, why human nature was so corrupt and prone to doing wrong, why the world was so unfair and cruel. Towards my sophomore year, my mother died from cirrhosis of the liver. Her, alco her alcohol addiction had killed her. She withered away much like my grandmother, only I was... Only I was closer physically and could see the internal emotional struggle and feel how much she loved my brothers and me. How she was bringing about her own destruction, leaving her children behind, but was unable to stop. This further caged and, changed my and chained my emotions, and any concept of God I had was further pushed away. For I could not reason how such evil could exist if there was an, an omnipotent, all-loving creator. Not long after my mother's passing, I fell into drugs, looking for an escape from my overwhelmingly numb existence. In drugs, I found a false sense of happiness, even if only fleeting. It hid away the harsh reality of my life for short moments of time, masked my social anxiety from myself, distanced verbal and emotional abuse at home. But it also smothered something else, a deep longing for truth. Towards the end of high school and the summer before college, I became obsessed with finding truth, proving to myself if there was a true good or a true evil. If I could contact or find true good or true evil, I would prove to myself that there was a God or at least something. With that dangerous mindset before my sophomore year of college, I descended deeper into harder drugs, more specifically strong hallucinating substances historically used by witch doctors and shamans in Central America. These incidents, one in particular, turned into a nightmare that wouldn't cease. Naively, I had been knocking on the devil's door, and it kicked wide open. The aftermath of the, of the incident left me desperately trying to piece together my sense of self for something, desperately trying to piece together my sense of self for something evil had contacted me and tainted me. In the months and years that followed, I almost constantly had a voice filled with inexpressible hate saying terrible things to me, hurtful, destructive things, and convincing me of horrible lies. I immediately denied to myself that the voice was anything spiritual or supernatural. I constantly deluded myself into believing that I simply had a bad drug experience and was having severe after effects. I deliberately distracted myself as much as I could on fixing my social anxiety while I was in college, overcoming it by my own means 
and shortly into college failed miserably many times. By this time, I stumbled upon the homosexual crowd at college, mainly a group of lesbians who, after voicing my social anxiety issues to, rallied around the idea of assisting me in what ways they could and became my friends, even though I was straight. But I never dared to tell them about the internal battle in myself, for the voice and the tainted inner presence were ever trying to oppress my mind. The group was into partying, and they felt that bringing me into parties was the way to socialize me and help me overcome my anxiety. So I fell into the partying scene hard, very hard. I started drinking huge amounts of alcohol overnight with even more drug use. All these efforts to overcome my anxiety were to no avail, but I was tolerated as a member of the group and, I, and continued to delve into the partying scene. One night before Christmas break, I blacked out while drinking hard liquor, lost all memory, and came to, only I was aware but not in control. The menacing voice was resounding in my, in my head, speaking the most horrid insults at my stunned college friends, restraining me. I realized this voice wasn't me, and it wasn't just a voice, it was something else, and it was showing me it had control. At the moment I realized this, this thing felt the most sickening glee, and a most unnatural smile crept across my face. Suddenly my body, under its control, burst free from a group of three or four people holding me easily, and I ran towards, or my body ran towards the busy street into the blinding headlights of a semi-truck going 45 miles per hour. I was tackled just short, just short as the bulk of metal went rushing by. My friends after the incident were dumbfounded. They distanced themselves from me, afraid of my sudden instability. I fell even deeper into, into depressed drug use. I couldn't stop. It was as if something was pushing me to do so, but I hid those thoughts for myself because I couldn't admit it. Shortly into the second semester of my second year of college, my emotionless exterior began to crack, and all the suppressed turmoil of long past and present events came forth, all with the destructive narration and presence of the voice. Most of my life, I had felt a numbing sense of loneliness, of wanted communication, simple conversation enjoyed. Friends, true friends, and attention from family, even a girlfriend. Most of the vicious thoughts centered on my utter loneliness, that I was a human being cut off from everyone else, shackled in myself by my anxiety and imprisoned by everyone else's lack of compassion and disregard. I was so alone, I felt so miserable, and it was actual pain, emotion so concentrated and thick, it racked my body with aching pain. Desperately and feebly fighting away the evil voice, I was drowning in this this immense despair, and it seemed that I was doomed. In the midst of feeling this despair, I tried verbally selling my soul by calling out to the devil in the darkness of my dorm room one night, offering that I would trade for happiness, but the shadows of the night were silent. Realizing I had tried selling my own soul, I hit the lowest point of my life. A week later at night, again, alone in my dorm room, and my mind was churning over every emotion-filled memory. I had an overpowering sensation that I was lost. On a college campus of 6,000 people, I felt utterly alone. Even the voice drifted away. It was as if I were lost in the midst of a vast, tumultuous ocean in the blackest night. Then I did something I had never done. I cried out to God, earnestly seeking aid to this loneliness. I prayed to him with words that fell from my mouth as if overflowing from my most inner self. For him to bring someone into my life, someone I would love and be loved in return, someone I could care for and be cared for in return, a prayer that continued as such for a few minutes. And at the end of it, I felt a huge release, as if a sudden, as if a massive storm had suddenly lifted, and in the utter calm, I drifted to sleep. The next few days, I felt relieved to an extent, but still I fell back into my old habits of thinking, still depressed, and still unconvinced of anything true in life, I decided to end my last few weeks of college semester with a, with a last binge drinking at a party. I had given up trying to be social. I was just going to drink away my sorrows. But at this party, something different happened. I unwillingly struck up conversation with this girl. 
and the conversation drifted towards my views of the world, of its greed, corruption, and evil. She, unlike anyone else I'd ever met, not only listened, but was interested. And long story short, I asked her for her phone number, continued to contact her, then meet up and spend time together. Very quickly, a relationship formed. We told everyone, we told everything about ourselves to each other. Our rough past, our current situations, and our growing emotions towards each other. With college ending and hearing of her recent physical assaulting by her fa- by family, we decided that we both returned to my hometown, to my family. Even though my family's situation was rough, I rationalized that at least she wouldn't be physically hurt. Events happened quickly, and soon I was home in Oshkosh with some girl I just recently met. I couldn't continue to ignore the near-constant battle in my mind that this must be the answer to that prayer, that God had brought someone into my life. But... The dark, the dark internal voice would wrestle and denounce that this was a mere chance or that this was the working of the devil bringing happiness into my fading life, but that I was doomed eternally. My conversations with Amanda often, my conversations with Amanda often ended in debates of if there was a God recognized by religion or something beyond human comprehension. At this, as this war waged in me, I was still under the chains of addiction to drugs and alcohol. One day, while pondering, I realized that Amanda was God's answer to my, to my prayer, and that all along, my seeking for truth was truly seeking God, that God was the truth I had been longing for all along. A few days after this, while I was sitting in a garage consuming the drug marijuana with a group of people, I was often thought, thinking that God wouldn't want me to be doing this, that this was bringing my own destruction, and soon I was confessing this in thought. But as this was happening, everything else faded away, and I felt as if kneeling before a great presence, one I couldn't see but overwhelmingly felt. Suddenly, well, after this confession and asking God to take this burden from me, suddenly I found myself back in the garage. The marijuana had been passed around, and now it was being offered to me, an immediate temptation. Quickly processing what had just taken place and the realization and horror of the temptation before me, I stood up and exclaimed, I quit, I'm done. I looked over to where Amanda was and sitting, where Amanda was sitting and said, you're done too. And from that point on, never again consumed marijuana, the drug that plagued me most. Around this time in Oshkosh was such a chaotic time, and soon after Amanda was in my life, seemingly everything was trying to tear us apart. My dysfunctional family almost immediately became filled with a beastly animosity towards my new relationship. Emotional and verbal abuse was rampant, and soon Amanda and I sought shelter elsewhere, moving many times till finally into our own small apartment. During these struggles, we looked to God, but our lives were so ungodly, we quickly became distracted. We desired to become involved in church and become more focused on God, but after attending a non-denominational church a few times, we were left we left unfilled, just as empty as when we walked in. During this time, we had next to nothing, so the thrift stores were where we shopped. One day I spotted a yellow box. Actually, it's brown. It's past it, but okay. Uh, marked free, and upon investigating, found something marked Signs of the Times. I grabbed a copy for each month, and soon was reading information that sparked life in me, truth which had foundation in the Bible. I shared the information I read with Amanda about an August 2010 issue with an article on the Sunday in the New Testament. This one article convinced me and Amanda that I needed to find a Sabbath-keeping church. At the time, I was completely unaware that the Signs of the Times was an Adventist publication, but, and soon the business of life swept us along, but a seed had been planted. Later, through events previously described by Amanda's testimony, we ended up at a Bible study by the very man who placed the Signs of the Times in Oshkosh. The truths already planted by the Signs of the Times sprouted and grew. We quit smoking cigarettes, and other changes in our lives took place as well and soon we started attending an Adventist church in nearby Nino, Wisconsin. Amanda and I soon decided to get married. The wedding was on October 1, 2011, and we were baptized a week later, little to our knowledge, on the Day of Atonement. Since then, we have been growing in truth more and more, and our lives have been reflecting it. So far, God has changed me by taking drug, drug use, alcohol, cigarettes, my depression, porn addiction, video game addiction, 
the evil voice and presence and my severe social anxiety out of my life, all thanks to God's power. After much struggle, I have chosen not to pursue owning my family's meat processing business. Due to the truth of pork being a foul meat and the hypocrisy of operating and owning a company that produces food products containing pork for consumption when I myself will not consume it. I'm currently seeking means of becoming a coal porter, and as you just found out, it's panned out. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks be to God. Uh, And before this happened, after much prayer, there has been a weighing on my heart to become a literature evangelist of some sort, to place literature containing truth in the hands of people as others had once placed truth in my searching hands. Now I want to ask the congregation a question. How many would be mad at me if I'd preached today and not let them give this testimony? You all would have been mad at me. Uh, I don't have the authority to do what I'm about to do. Actually, we need a board meeting. But what my thought is, is that uh, in your tithe envelope next Sabbath, or today if you want to, If you would like to put part of the offering that you put in the tithe envelope, put it under local church and write local missionaries. Make your check out to the church. But if you would like to help Shane and Amanda on their way to do this mission thing, uh, put in some extra and write local missionaries and put the amount on that. And um, I haven't even asked the social committee chairman yet, but we're having a picnic a week from Monday or a week from Sunday. week from Sunday. And I would like to invite you all to come to that picnic, and we will make it a picnic, and we'll also make it an official farewell for Shane and Amanda. How many would like to vote to do that? All right, and take a tithe envelope. You can turn it into the treasure today, or you can put in the offering next week. Make a check to the church. That way it will be tax deductible, but write it for local missionaries, and that will help Shane and Amanda. Is there a motion that we do that? Is that all right? How much trouble am I in? All right. How many are very glad that you got to hear their testimony before they left us? All right. Well, we're going to have our communion service, which is a reminder to us of what Jesus has done. Communion is not what we do for Jesus. It's reminding us what Jesus has done for us, that he's paid our price. So at this time, we're going to have our ordinance for brotherly love in which we express our concern for one another by washing each other's feet, which to me is a beautiful symbol of recognizing I still have dirt in my life since I've become a Christian, and I need your help to get it washed off, and in return, I will help you. Are there two places where we go to wash feet, or is there three? How many? Three. All right, I know there's who goes to the schoolroom. The women go to the schoolroom. And where do the men go? In a fellowship hall. And the third place is for husbands and wives who want to wash each other's feet. And where is that? In the youth room in the back of the kitchen. All right, let me explain that. If ladies on ladies, for the sake of uh, modesty, goes into the schoolroom. Husbands and wives, if you want to wash each other's feet, which is a beautiful thing, you go into the junior room, back of the kitchen, and the men are in the fellowship hall. Is that correct? Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Jesus, I thank you for day, today for the Holy Spirit that when people don't know you, you cause them to hunger and thirst for righteousness. Thank you, Jesus, for your sacrifice and for your blood that can take a life that is lonesome and sad and redeem them, make them valuable tools in your tool chest. We thank you for what we've heard, the evidence of what God can do. We ask, Father, now that we will, in foot washing, realize we need to help each other and then come back here and thank Jesus for what he's done. Amen. When you come back, uh, try to sit every other pew so that the deacons, when they hand out the, the bread and the wine, can get to you. Thank you very much. We'll see you in a little bit back up here. Through an appreciation of the character of Christ, the communion with God, sin becomes hateful to us.
want you to look at the little piece of bread that you hold in your hand. And I want you to remember the words of Jesus when he said, this is my body, it was broken for you. And I want it to fill your thoughts that if any one of you were the only person who had ever sinned in the whole history of the universe, Jesus would have come down and died for one. He would have died for you. He would have died for me. Jesus says, this is my body that was broken for you. Eat ye all of it. Reading on in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul says to us, After the same manner he also took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as often as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death until he come. Again the elders will kneel. If we give thanks and gratitude to God for what he suffered for us. Our Father in heaven, as we partake of this cup of the juice of the vine, we think of Jesus' blood that he shed for us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in his human nature, this is almost too much for him to bear. But he said, Father, if it be your will, and we know it was. And so he did go through for us what we deserve for ourselves. Continue to bless us as we think of that sacrifice for us. And may it make in us true disciples. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. As the disciples met together after the ascension of Jesus, they were eager to present their request to the Father in the name of Jesus. In solemn awe, they bowed in prayer, repeating the assurance, Whatsoever you shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Hitherto you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, you shall receive, that your joy may be full. They extended the hand of faith higher and higher with the almighty argument, it is Christ that has died, and now he's risen again, and he's at the right hand of God who makes intercession for us. And Pentecost brought them the presence of the Comforter. Christ had said, he shall be in you. And he had further said, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. Henceforth, through the Spirit, Christ was to abide continually in the hearts of his children. Their union with him was closer than when he was actually personally with them. The light and love, the power of the indwelling Christ shone out through them, so that men, beholding, marveled and took knowledge of them. These men have been with Jesus. All that Christ was to his early disciples, he longs to be to his children today. For in that last prayer, with the little band of disciples gathered about him at the Last Supper, he prayed and he said, Father, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Jesus prayed for us personally.
Jesus wants you to recognize that if any of you were the only one who'd ever sinned in the entire history of the universe, he would have shed his blood for you anyway, even for one. Jesus says, this is my blood. It was shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Drink ye all of it. Jesus did those things so that we would have something to think about when Satan's trying to get us to think about something else. Amen? Amen. And trusting in what Jesus has done for us is what we call faith. Dear Father in heaven, Satan is all the time lying to us. He's all the time saying, you can't overcome. But help us, Jesus, to remember your blood. Help us to remember the promise that says... I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Help us to keep our mind focused, Jesus, on not the world does, not what the world does, not what other people do, but on what Jesus is doing, has done, and his promise of what he's going to do for us in the future. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.